Good morning, everyone. Um, slight difference from last Sunday morning. Um, it still is a good morning because his mercies are new every day. Um, but yeah, slightly more Northern Irish than it was last Sunday. Um, so that's uh, Marcos. This is what it's normally like. <laughs> uh, he had mentioned that he was very disappointed that he came uh, expecting cold and rain, um, but to find lots of heat and sun. Um, but I said, wait till next week and you'll be all right. Um, so it has arrived. Uh, so welcome as we come to worship today, whether you've gathered here in person or you're gathering with us um, online. We draw around the Lord's table today to celebrate his life, his death and his resurrection. To remember that that brings truth and power into our lives in this moment that we can carry forward, not only today, but into the week that lies ahead. So let's pray as we begin. Father God, we thank you for who you are and all that you have done for us. We thank you that you showed your love amongst us, that you sent your one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. We thank you that Jesus bore our sins in his body on the cross, so we might die to sin and live for righteousness. And we thank you today that by his wounds, we find healing. And so as we gather as a community of believers, we pray that your presence will bring transformation into the depths of our souls today. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. This morning's reading is 2 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning at verse 6, and it's entitled, Sowing Generously. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. This is the word of the Lord. for bringing us our Bible reading this morning. Um, today we're carrying on in our series on uh, principles to live by. 
And James has delightfully given me the topic of possessions, which is like, give the guest preacher who's not going to be there forever the hardest bit to talk about. But we're going to start by me telling you a story of the tale of two hedge trimmers. So this, this summer, I needed to trim my hedge a couple of times. And the first time, in end of May, beginning of June, I was trimming my hedge, and I borrowed my neighbor's hedge trimmer. And my neighbor has been wonderfully gracious over the last few years and often trimmed my hedge for me. And he didn't have time this year. And I borrowed his hedge trimmers, and things were going swimmingly until I cut through the cord of his hedge trimmers with his hedge trimmers. It was a Saturday morning. I thought, we're all good. B&Q are open. Went down to B&Q, bought a couple of different hedge trimmers so he could pick his favorite to replace his hedge trimmers. And he was incredibly gracious about it and said, it's fine, Esther. I've done the same thing myself. Look, there's the evidence. I can fix the hedge trimmers. Don't worry about it. But my response when I knew it wasn't my hedge trimmers was pretty immediate. I was like, this needs sorted out, like now. Um, having bought some hedge trimmers, I decided to keep some hedge trimmers so that if I was going to damage he hedge trimmers, they were my hedge trimmers. And towards the end of August, I got out the hedge trimmers to trim my hedges. And two minutes into trimming my hedges, cut through the cord of my hedge trimmers with my hedge trimmers. And this time I thought, they're my hedge trimmers. I know I need to do something about this, but didn't do anything about it for about two weeks. And then I bought the connector to repair the cable, and then it took another 10 days, and it was the day before I was going back to work at the end of the summer, and I was like, the hedge is dry. If I don't trim my hedges now, we're in trouble. It took me five minutes to repair the, the broken cord, and then I trimmed my hedges. But it got me thinking about how we treat things depending on who we think owns them. Whether it's hedge trimmers, whether it's time, whether it's the money in our bank account, whether it's our abilities, whether it's our giftings, whether it's our homes, whether it's our vehicles, how do we view the stuff that we have. So looking at today's reading, and if you want to, if you have a Bible, if you want to bring it up on your phone, 2 Corinthians 9, six, verses 6 to 15, we're actually going to work through this backwards. Because Paul's last sentence, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift, has the biblical studies community scratching their head slightly and pondering. Because what is God's indescribable gift? The word God uses for indescribable is found nowhere else in the, in the Bible, but it's also found nowhere else in literature until after Paul's used it here. It's like Paul is trying to describe God's gift and has to create a new word to describe it. It's not put into words a ball gift. So what is it? And this is where the biblical studies community and the commentators get very excited because they don't agree. 
is it us? Is it our life? Is it the fact that every breath that you've taken since the day you were born, every beat of your heart, every moment that you've had, every bed you've slept in, every house you've lived in, that all of that is gift. You didn't choose to be born. You don't choose to keep on living. Much as we might want to, much as we might want to control that, all of that is given. So some commentators are like, it's the fact that we're alive at all is an indescribable gift. And other commentators are like, it's broader than that. It's the whole universe. It's the fact that in the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth and then the land and then filled it with an amazing variety of weird creatures and wonderful plants and things that taste amazing and things that smell disgusting. And all of that God makes and he says, it's good. And then he says, go and enjoy it. And so some commentators are like, it's creation. It's his indescribable gift. We can't put into words the amazing wonder of, of the place that we live in. And still other commentators are like, oh, but it's, it's really about Jesus. Jesus is God's indescribable gift. Because how could you put into words the fact that God himself decides to make himself smaller than something that you can see? That he decides to grow like a baby grows in hiddenness and quietness in its mother's womb, that he decides to learn how to walk and to talk and to eat without spewing half of his food down his front. And then he grows up and he becomes a man and he continues to live. And then he chooses to die. What an indescribable gift. So that's why the next picture on the next slide shows this feast. When Paul says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift, he's using words in this whole passage that talk of abundance and superabundance and excess and liberality and overflowing and multiplying. So when you're reading these words, think Christmas dinner table. Think the most laden table you've ever seen. Think about the piles of presents under the tree. Think about what is the most generous thing that's ever happened to you and then multiply it because that's God. That's what he does. And that's where Paul says our giving begins, is in recognizing that all that we have is a gift. We step back, verses 11 to 14. Paul gives us more reasons for giving. Giving creates a cycle. So it starts by we give. And then the thing that happens is that God gets thanks. And then the next thing that happens is that the, meet, the needs of people are met. And then the next thing that happens is that it's a demonstration of our obedience to the gospel. See, Paul doesn't say you can be obedient internally and it will have zero effect on the rest of your life. 
He says, no, your giving, your generosity is a sign that you are being made into new creation. That God's influence on you is not just in your head or in your heart, but is being worked out in your life. Because for Paul, there is no such thing as a faith that's internal. There's faith and there's not faith. And if there's faith, then other people should see it by who we are and what we do. And that includes what we do with the stuff that we have. And then the other thing that happens is that those people who have benefited from our gifts pray for us. And God provides more for us to give so that there's thanksgiving to God, so that people's needs are met, so that we can be more obedient, so that people pray for us, so that God provides. So, and it is this cycle that goes round and round. But it's important to notice that what Paul says is not, use an individual, give a load, put your name on it, get the glory. Paul is talking about giving within the context of community. And that's really important. Tim Keller talks about surface idols and deep idols. And he talks about how money can be a surface idol. And for some people, money is this surface idol. And it's a way to control their world and their life. They don't spend much. They live modestly. They keep it safe and invested so that they can feel completely secure. And for other people, money is an idol. And they spend it lavishly. And they, they do it for access to social circles to make themselves attractive. And still, other people want money so that they can control others. So it gives them some power over others. And so the, the way that you use money might look really different on the surface. But it reveals some deep things. So for one person, that, super, that surface idol of money can reveal a deep, idol of I need to be safe. For another, it can be I need to be included. For another, it can be I need to be in charge. And one commentator talking about these deep idols said that nothing addresses this deep idolatry, these deep idols fed by the various forms of money idolatry more powerfully than generosity nurtured in community with God and with others. I think where I've seen this most obviously is a few years ago I was at um, a gathering. So the 24-7 movement has, a, has an international gathering uh, most years and as part of their gathering they have what's called a generosity auction. And this was in Belfast, this was in St. Anne's Cathedral, and their generosity auction in this particular year, they usually have a, an item of clothing. So the year that I was there, they had waistcoats. So somebody had knitted a waistcoat, and somebody had made a waistcoat, and somebody had donated one of their waistcoats. And, in, and somebody else had gotten a waistcoat and embroidered the 24-7 logo on it. So there were 
maybe seven or eight waistcoats for auction. And uh, one of the leaders of 24-7 got up into the uh, pulpit in St. Anne's and conducted an auction. And the whole idea of this auction was not that you were buying a waistcoat. The whole idea of this auction is that groups would gather together and pool their resources and bid ridiculous amounts of money for these waistcoats and that money was earmarked to go to certain projects. So that project, one of the projects was a couple who were heading off to Peru to go and set up a prayer room above a coffee shop. For another, for another family, they were working with Syrian refugees in Lebanon. And the thing about this generosity auction is there were only eight lots but there were probably about 20 groups of people who were bidding. So the first lots went for maybe a few hundred pounds. By the time it came to the last three lots, groups were going, how much money have you got? Do you want to pull with us? Do you want to come here? So there was a waistcoat that sold for six and a half thousand pounds for the money to go to the couple setting up the prayer room in Peru. And then the next waistcoat, raised eight and a half thousand pounds. And that money went to help the family who were working with Syrian refugees in Lebanon. And the last waistcoat, the money of which was going to help pay the rent for a family in Canada who had been evicted from their home and who fostered children who were, who were at, at sort of really severely um, mentally and physically disabled children and they'd been thrown out of their house 12 and a half thousand pounds one waistcoat and I was watching this going this is ridiculous it's this is absurd I but also I've never seen so much joy in a group of people so much collaboration of people going let's see how much money we've got left and all of it can go to this. That generosity nurtured in community with God and with others breaks in us and on us and over us. The power of this is mine. So we've had the indescribable gift of God. We've had the beauty of this generosity cycle. But Paul says that all that we have is given to us anyway. Verse 8 reads, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Do we believe that? Do we believe that God's ability is such that all kinds of grace to the limit of his abundance in all circumstances, at all times, in all things is given to us so that we can be as extravagant as God? And when God talks about us our sufficiency, when Paul talks about our sufficiency, it isn't just enough. 
It's not balancing the books. He says, you have enough and leftovers. And there's a beautiful picture of this in the Old Testament in the book of Ruth. When Boaz says to his workers, not just don't disturb Ruth, don't annoy her, but actually see the, see the, see the wheat that you've harvested. Pull out handfuls of it on purpose and leave it for her to pick up. Boaz isn't just obeying the law of letting the widows and the orphans glean. He is saying, I want to do more. I want to be more generous. I want to pull out handfuls on purpose. Because Boaz knew what God's heart was. And God's heart is not that we just live within the rigid limits of the law, but that we are, that we expand that, that we're overflowingly generous, excessively generous, that we're liberal in the way that we give and how we give. And so we come to verses 6 and 7. Give cheerfully. Not with a painted smile on your face. And in fact, Paul says, it shouldn't be because you've heard the sob stories and the arm twisting. It shouldn't be because of external coercion. And this verse, verse 7, is directed at individuals. This is not a collective. This is not put pressure on each other to give. This is a you decide personally with God what it's right to give and then give it with all of your heart. Give it with not just a smile on your face, but with hilarity in your heart. The word for cheerful in Greek is where we get the word hilarious. You should be able to laugh as you give. Because the truth is that anyone, and you don't have to be of farming background, will understand that if you sow a generous crop, you aren't guaranteed a generous harvest. But you might get one. Most years you do. But if you sow a stingy crop, you will never, ever get a generous harvest. You can't. It's not possible. I mean, God's mathematics are quite amazing. He multiplies things. But if you only put in two or three runner beans, you're not going to get a field of runner beans. And Paul says, what kind of heart is in you to give? So Where's your heart on giving? At no point in this passage does Paul say, this is the percentage. This is the amount. This is what you need to give. What Paul concentrates on is how you give. You give cheerfully. You give in obedience. You give because God has already given. You give as a sign of saying, I trust. I trust that there is a greater giver who can provide for me. 
And like I said, it's not just the money in our bank account. It can be our time. It can be our abilities. It can be the spare rooms in our house. It can be our vehicles. Because see, one of the most famous well-known verses in the Bible talks about God's motivation for giving. It says, for God so loved the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God's motivation in giving is love. It is love all the way down to the humility of incarnation. It is love all the way down to the cross. It is love all the way down to death. And we are called to be those who imitate our Father, who imitate his love that goes all the way down and all the way down and all the way down. One of the commentators put it this way. <coughs> Giving is not something we do, it's something we are. And it means that we really believe that God is the great giver. That we simply cannot outgive him. And so this week, I invite you to think about what your heart on giving is. Ask God to search your motivations out. To reveal the deep idols that are in all of us. And to make us more and more the people who will give out of love. Because God has given it first. For us. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we cannot outgive you. And that all we have, you have given us in the first place. Lord, would you work in us and change our hearts and our minds to reflect a love that gives. And so that the world around us might see, might give praise to God. That needs might be met. That we might become more obedient to you. And so that prayers for us and for others might multiply. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Amen. We close with a blessing. The peace of God which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, with the blessing of God Almighty. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, bless one each one of us this day and forevermore. Amen.